Hi, this is Father Nathan Hale from Desert Mission Anglican Church in the Sunny Slope neighborhood of Phoenix, Arizona. Thanks so much for joining us for the podcast today. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. You can find out more about our church, participate in worship, and sign up to attend in-person services at desertmissionanglican.org. That's desertmissionanglican.org. No matter what, never forget that God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. That's from 1 John 4, 9 through 10. And now, here's the podcast. It is important for us to address this specific event as a church family. The words and ideas that led to what we saw at the Capitol are not Christian. The actions we witnessed at the Capitol are anti-Christ. As Christians, we do not deny that human governments are fatally flawed. We recognize that there is corruption and sin at every level of our human government and society that must be addressed. And as Christians, we affirm that direct action is an essential part of our calling to address this as the people of God. Nevertheless, we must remember as we're called to today in all of these scriptures, That in our baptism, we are joined to Christ in his baptism. So our actions must reflect Christ's actions. We heard the gospel proclaimed today from St. Mark. So John the Baptist has been preparing his people for this national revival and renewal. And now the moment has finally come. Jesus is ready to begin his public ministry to accomplish just that revival in the land. And so he submits to baptism from John, not because he had to repent of any sin, of course, but because this is a special moment of Jesus being set apart and affirmed for public ministry by God the Father. And it goes even deeper than just a commissioning, if I can say just, a commissioning for ministry. In the Old Testament, see, priests, who are the the representatives of God to the people and the people to God, were set apart by the washing of water and anointing with oil as a sign of God's favor. Kings and prophets, too, were anointed with oil as a sign of God's favor as a a prayer for God's spirit and commissioning. And here we see Jesus being washed with water and anointed with the Holy Spirit, along with an approving voice from heaven itself. So we see Jesus being set up here by God as prophet, priest, and king of his people. 
As we read the Gospels, we see that Jesus' program of revival as prophet, priest, and king had nothing to do with gaining approval from the local government or placing himself or anyone else actually in positions of influence to further his agenda. Rather, Jesus' idea of revival had to do with modeling right worship, healing the sick, being a friend of sinners, advocating for the poor and oppressed, subverting the unjust systems and practices of his day by the political and religious establishment. And we see this throughout the Gospels. We see it uh, the way that he freely broke Jewish Sabbath laws in Mark chapter 2, just a little bit after this reading, and in Luke chapter 14. We see it in his open denouncement of the Pharisees' oppressive form of fundraising for the temple in Luke 20. And we see it in his explicit criticism of Herod, the Roman puppet king, in Luke 13. So with that in mind, I want us to remember that, brothers and sisters, our vocation, that is our calling, our, our actions are inextricable, inextricable excuse me, from the actions of Christ. In our own baptisms, we receive this gift, an absolute gift of grace, of being born again into eternal life. But listen, that life is the life of Jesus. In other words, part of the gift of eternal life is living in light of eternity. Now, by the power of the Spirit. And that way of life, looks exactly like Jesus. So no matter what the banners and signs said on Wednesday, in no way do we recognize the words of Christ in the words leading up to that moment at the Capitol or in the actions. Of the people carrying out violent and terrorizing acts, we don't see Christ in that. There are two principal ways that I see this lawless attack and its associated ideas and slogans that go along with it. Even the Christian sounding ones. Uh, I mean, I'm pretty sure I saw one that was like, to God be the glory, we're defeating the deep state, Trump 2021. That sounds Christian, but ultimately it's opposed to Christ. Two ways. First, the, the words and actions that we witnessed at the Capitol demonstrated a false and misplaced hope for a better life in President Trump and his promise of power. Some have loudly cast the president as the great champion that Christianity needs. Someone that hits back instead of turning the other cheek. This has been explicitly encouraged at times by the president himself. And this has prompted some Christians to sinfully give up their commitment to the way of Christ and trade it 
for a degree of loyalty and trust to the President of the United States that belongs to Christ alone. Christian writer and thinker Anne Voskamp wrote this week, when Christians believe pledging allegiance to a national leader can save their vision of the world, that is no longer Christianity. That's nationalism and cloaked idolatry. In this, Ms. Voskamp is correct. And don't get me wrong, of course, God can and does use all earthly leaders, even really sinful ones, for his ultimate good purposes. We can certainly say biblically that earthly leaders have legitimate authority, even God-given authority. It's to be used for good. But we can say they have that, absolutely. Yet to elevate any earthly leader or agenda as the last best hope and line of defense for the church is to displace Christ. The gospel that we preach is that Christ alone has saved, is saving, and will save his church. Christ alone. Ultimately, it will be the return of one person, Christ alone, that will deliver us from this present evil age. Anyone that would proclaim or or prophesy that our best hope is in an earthly ruler or that earthly rulers should not be held accountable to the law of Christ because they've been given a measure of authority by God is preaching a gospel we do not recognize. Christ alone is God's anointed for our salvation at every level. And hear what God said from Mark's gospel. When he came up out of the water, when Jesus comes up out of the water after being baptized, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven, which we can only assume is the voice of God the Father, saying, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. God the Father has proclaimed and anointed Jesus as his son, the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. No one fights our battles for us except God. And here's the good news, brothers and sisters, the war's already been won by God on the cross. God in Christ took the sin of the world with him to the grave and came back to life in vindication that his love conquered death itself, and that his way is indeed the only way of life. Christ is our champion, not Donald Trump. And, you know, hear me, not Joe Biden either. Christ alone. That's the message today. Christ alone is our champion. And here's the the amazing thing. Since he has ascended to the right hand of God the Father, we know without question that Christ is still alive. He's sitting on the throne. And so we don't need another anointed king over God's people. We've got a king. We have one kingdom, one kingdom, which transcends every earthly border. And brothers and sisters, that king, that kingdom must have our overriding allegiance. Amen. There's a second way that the tragedy at the Capitol is opposed to Christ. The words and actions we witnessed at the Capitol demonstrated the false belief that earthly power 
can and must be maintained at all costs, even the cost of other people's lives. To my knowledge, one police officer on the scene was killed in the attack, many others being injured, at least four other deaths due to medical emergencies and violent encounters. Jesus certainly was never afraid to act boldly on behalf of the oppressed, the sick, the marginalized. He cared deeply about manifesting justice in the world, even if it meant you know, going into places he wasn't supposed to be, right? Like, absolutely. And, and yet when Jesus did it, when Jesus did it, it was coming from a life of deep communion with God, a life of, of, of deep concern for his people. And it was always at his own expense, right? It was always at the expense of his own reputation. It was always at the expense of his own life, ultimately, not at the expense of others. He was never motivated by self-defense or by kind of holding on to this position or, or prestige or, or privilege. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And that's what he did. See, for Jesus, the greatest direct action you can take is giving your life, not taking someone else's. Henry Nouwen, a uh, great spiritual writer, uh, look him up later, he, he wrote this, we will never come to know our true vocation, which means like our, our calling in life. We'll never come to know our true vocation in life unless we are willing to grapple with the radical claim the gospel places on us. Are we willing to grapple with the claim that Jesus really is Lord? That no president at any time is God's anointed? That we have no savior but Christ alone? And that we've been saved, not into America, but into the church of Christ? That greatness in the kingdom of God looks like smallness in the kingdoms of this world? that the United States has never been, is not, and, and can never be the, the, quote, city on a hill. Nah, that's for the church, guys. We have to grapple that the, with the way that we shine the light of Christ is, is by allowing the Spirit to make us like Christ in all of his humility, humiliation, and suffering for the sake of others. Are we willing to grapple with the claim that I believe the scriptures have made for us today in our readings that Christ's baptismal vocation is our baptismal vocation? And it's a hard, it's a hard thing to grapple with. It's a hard saying. I, I get it. Uh, this is a question that we have to ask ourselves all the time because the temptations for us to look elsewhere to look somewhere other than Christ for life, uh, to look uh, so, to someone other than Christ to trust. And especially, especially in times of uncertainty and, and, and difficulty like we're in right now, those temptations are always there for all of us, all the time. So we have to be on guard. We have to be asking ourselves these questions and coming back to the Holy Scriptures and always coming back to Christ alone. Now. Our call in this moment is certainly not to leave corruption unaddressed or to avoid speaking the truth as best we understand it. 
I think most American Christians could agree on that. Yet today, I want to encourage all of us to recommit to doing those things after the pattern of Christ. By placing our hope in Christ alone and following him in the self-sacrificial way of the cross. I want to encourage all of us to remember the gift of grace that we have received in our baptism to be joined to God in Jesus and share in his baptismal vocation to live as a, a witness to and participant in the kingdom of heaven. I want to encourage all of us to receive the life of God by being with God in prayer for the world, for the church, for ourselves, constantly, and, and by participating in the liturgical life of this local church. Listen, we have a discipleship program at our church. Did you know that? It's called the liturgy. Um, our liturgical life with its observations of the, the Christian calendar, fasts, feasts, prayers, that's how we're formed as followers of Christ together. And we can't forget, we can't forget now, because uh, I, I know that there's a temptation here to say, okay, you know, as long as I'm just reading my Bible and saying my prayers, I'm not going to go astray. But we cannot forget that every false religion incorporates prayer. Every heretic read the Bible. Our Anglican tradition gives us guidance, guardrails, and tools to pray rightly, to read the Bible rightly. And I know that I need to do a better job of reminding us as a church family that our Anglican tradition isn't just about a certain style of worship. It's about a practice of discipleship. And we must approach it together with that mindset of discipleship to guard against the temptations of the world and to grow in holiness. So I want to encourage all of us, too, to renew our minds as we pursue the truth according to reason and with deep humility. Critical thinking is a biblical skill that can be developed. It's part of what the scriptures call the pursuit of wisdom. And it's a gift that we can receive from God to help us in discernment in this time. I pray that by the grace of God, our words and actions would reflect not the crimes against him that happened at the Capitol, but rather the love of God for all people in our only Lord, our only Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Now, I know this may have been challenging. And um, I want you to know always that I want to hear from you that um, I consider sermons the beginning of a conversation, not the end, that any question is allowed in our church, that no one is bound to agree with me 
on everything. Maybe I should have said this at the beginning instead of the end. <laughs> but if you want to talk, just let me know. Everybody in this room has my phone number. If you're watching online, you don't have my phone number. Just email us. The email address is it's on the website. And we'll, we'll set up a time to talk. And it would be my, my honor, my joy, and, and my privilege uh, to speak with you about these things um, in a spirit of pursuing Jesus together.